0: reading from the gospel lesson today from Matthew Uh, you know we've been paying more attention to Romans than we have to the gospel reading but we are following what Jesus is doing in his life as we walk with him through uh, Matthew's record of the gospel the 14th chapter beginning with verse 22 immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind... He became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Paul says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to suspend my usual review of our Roman series this morning. Many of you have heard it often enough, except to focus on one point of similarity between uh, in the significant social issues area, our inherent cultural biases. I listed three just for fun, and that was one of them. I want to spend more time focusing on that one idea today because that topic constitutes one of the challenging elements of what last week I called the overwhelming uh, nature of the obstacles we face in our world today. We, or at least some of us in some circles, talk a lot about biblical interpretation and contextual analysis of texts and all that good stuff in churches like ours. Presbyterians are not literalists or inerrantists in how we value God's word as inspired and useful for our modern faith and life. I contend that we actually have a higher understanding of the inspiration of the Bible than others because we are challenged to think long and hard about how the ancient biblical principles apply today rather than simply taking a biblical template and laying it on our lives. Having said that, Paul does outline some clear, hard-to-argue-with teachings along the way. The verse I highlight above is one of those lessons. You have to know the context in order to comprehend the full value of what Paul is saying here. So, we wander off for a few minutes putting ourselves in the sandals of first-century Roman Christians. The church in Rome was a mixed-up place. The liberating message of freedom in Jesus Christ, victory over sin and death, and a clear moral code attracted all kinds of folks. Yes, Jewish Christians formed a sizable segment of that body. Non-Jews who valued the Hebrew take on personal and social ethics made up another good-sized group. Maybe we could call them Orthodox Gentiles, couldn't we? Add a smattering of every kind of being and you grasp the diversity of the Roman Church. And of course, as we all know, diversity breeds a lovely climate of social cohesion and common values, right? Uh, Not so much. Really quite the opposite. Paul's Roman missive doesn't include the tersely worded scolding sent to the Corinthians or the Galatians, but he tucks them neatly in between the lines just the same. I'm touching lightly on chapters 9 through 11 simply because books have been written about the tiptoeing that Paul does here three chapters where Paul struggles with the relationship between the Jewish faith and the Christian church. He, the devout Jew, became a fervent exclamation, exclamation, follower of Jesus, whose claims were largely rejected by the religious body with which both were aligned. He valiantly attempts to make sense out of the relationship between historic Judaism and the blossoming offshoot propagated by the radical Rabbi Jesus. Paul tortures himself with his thought wrestling in this section of his letter. Belief in Jesus paves the sure way to salvation. And God's people, the Jews, aren't supplanted even those who don't follow Jesus. Paul lets those seemingly exclusive truths stand, one next to the other. And basically we' waves a worship-filled white flag at the end of chapter 11. Next week, we'll talk about that. He so wants to knit the diverse Roman community together on this matter, in spite of their inherent cultural biases. Arguably the most pronounced cultural bias in the Roman church, the distinction between the Jewish Christians and the rest of the community of faith In other letters, Paul extends this list, Jew and Greek, male and female, slave and free, etc. In this part of Romans, he stops with the first duality, in great measure because that was the immediate context he sought to address. I contend that he is pointing to a still greater principle. For 400-plus years, post-exilic Jews had circled their faith wagons in an effort to stay alive as a people. Who could blame them? It appears, with lots of evidence, that the whole world was out to do them in. As often happens in times of attack, when we experience those attacks, Personally, as family, as nations, in times of attack, humanity falls into two camps. And it fell into two camps for those post-exilic Jews. There were the Jews, them, and there were the Gentiles, everyone else. The Jews actually were us. The two camps became us versus them pretty simple. If you ain't first, you're Guinness. And external threats at that time tightened internal bonds. I attach no value judgment to the next statement. By that I mean I'm not saying it's right or wrong or anything like that. It just... I think describes the situation some of the most inner focused exclusivist Jewish thought emerged from this time period personified in people like Paul the devout defender of the Hebrew faith until the blinding vision of Jesus on Damascus turnpike in the period of enlightenment that followed Paul Came to comprehend that Jesus broke down the eons old dividing wall of hostility. And he says that, doesn't he, in his letter to the Ephesians? Folks still had to figure out how to deal with each other now that the barrier they liked to blame no longer existed. It's like when you have a neighbor and a wall between your property and theirs and you have this idea that, well, we're not friendly because of the wall, and then the wall comes down and you're still not friendly, you have to explain the truth of the matter, right? In this lesson, Paul focuses solely on the binary notion of Jew and Greek, which I have boiled down in the principle of the basic us versus them dichotomy. In the Roman church, Paul argues simply and mightily that the old labels no longer stick. We, we, the word and concept of we provides the new description of reality in Jesus Christ. We don't pretend that our differences and distinctions and the peculiarities that mark us don't As unique individuals don't exist, not at all. But neither do they lock us forever into a way of thinking about ourselves, others, our world, and our place in it. In fact, Paul says, in Jesus Christ, the old concept of us versus them has gone out of business, or at least it should. I have breathed long enough to realize that we do not live in a perfect world. Anyone want to argue against that idea? We do not live in a perfect world, far from it. In some ways, farther from it now than we were even 20 years ago. I think we can argue that as a society and as a culture, a culture, we're we're regressing to some degree. The camp titles of Jew and Greek no longer apply to most of the world's citizens, but the idea of us versus them remains very much alive, even though it shouldn't. Sometimes, sometimes it's just for fun. The Orange and the Hoyas. The Pirates and the Reds, the Wolverines from the University of Michigan, and that team from Ohio. A whole bunch of our more serious challenges come down to the us versus them thing, too. Some more, some less serious. Upstate versus downstate in New York. Any debate about the us versus them situation there? Republicans and Democrats need, I say more: Yanks versus Rebs, rich versus poor, white versus black, gay versus straight, pro-choice versus pro-life, etc, etc, etc. Us versus them is still very much alive in our society today. These are not quaint social demarcations. As we have learned over the last few months, they often and again have become bloody battlegrounds. People literally losing their lives. Our desire to cling to our uses, even if we never pick up a rock or a rifle, contributes to the widening rifts that define and deface our current social situation. I also contend that if our gospel challenges to live into the truth Paul proclaims, which he learned from Jesus, then any malicious us-versus-them posture deeply saddens our Savior. But I want to end on a positive note. Even though we are traveling through deeply divided times, I do want us to take a few minutes to pat ourselves on the back as a gathering of Christians in this place. Mostly in an effort to keep us doing what we've always been doing. Third Church has pioneered we, or inclusive thinking, for a long time. A couple of generations now, maybe longer, than that. You all have been and seek to become even better at being a we community that is open and inclusive and welcoming in our common life. You also know this better than I because I've only been around for a few months, that this is an extremely challenging goal, a high bar, a daunting hurdle to address. And my encouragement today is not only to celebrate the we did it moments that we share, but even more about the we're doing it recognitions, with the associated grunts and grimaces and figurative sweat pouring off of us, because it is not easy in our world today to be an inclusive community. And yet, we persevere. And why is that? Because we believe in the Bible, and the Bible tells us to do so. Are we perfect? Far from it. Do we scurry back behind our walls from time to time? Yep. Do we have our moments when we sneakily hold on to our favorite cultural biases and not just about our favorite sports teams? Uh huh. Have we yet turned the spotlight of revelation powerfully enough on ourselves, which we must do before we turn it on the society around us? No, but we remain committed to doing so in the months ahead. We have a passionate and dedicated small group of members who are pushing us to shine the revelatory light on our abiding us versus them, especially our racist tendencies, as open and as welcoming and as we focused as we want to be. We recognize that we're not perfect, and we need to excavate new ways to grow in that area. Session will consider a plan of action from them this Tuesday It's another step, it's another bit of who we are, of recognizing that we need to be we people and not us versus them folks. It's another step in embracing Paul's contention that he lays out clearly in this passage. There is no distinction between us and them. We're not there yet, but we're not afraid and we are ready to take the next leap of faith. Let us join together in that effort to be the we people that Jesus wants us to be and to become. Thanks be to God for this teaching from his holy word. Amen.